Hey yo, I'm Katie. And it's your co-host Corey, and this is the Press Next Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of the Press Next Podcast. Let's get it. Oh, that's my terrible version of singing. I know, we're in a singing mood. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Uh, But welcome back to another episode of the Press Next Podcast. We are so excited that you have joined us today, and we love you so much. Yes, and uh, though it is September 1, we did want to end this uh this august with another episode so this will not be a part of our september series but rather our august series and september series starts next week however as i always say i feel like this is a good one today this is a good one this is a good one do you want to give a sneak peek of what we'll be talking about in september um yes that's that's a wonderful point so for those who are like yo what y'all talking about in september here's the thing let me pull it up real quick because I want to make sure that I got it right and I'm not leading y'all down the path of unholiness and unrighteousness and destruction. Oh okay, I need you to know that we're getting right information. So listen, y'all know what time it is, especially for all of you, um, what do they call them? Pumpkin spice latte? Is it PSL? Is that what they call PSLs? PSL. For all the PSLs out there, September's theme is it's fall, y'all. It's fall, y'all. It's fall, y'all. And uh, so we'll be doing a lot of things that are surrounding uh, fall. Like, I don't know, football, maybe like stuff like Twilight or Sweet yeah. Home Alabama, Goodwill Hunting. Like stuff like that. Dead Post things Society. Things that make you feel good. Things that make you feel like it's fall. Like, you know what I'm saying? Or set in fall. So uh, that will be our theme as far as movies, TV shows, and documentaries. And then the conversation that come out of that will be the conversations that come out of that but we wanted to center september around a feel-good time um even if it is emotional so strap in buckle up because we about to go for a ride or like he said on um like he said on major pain what damn i can't remember the quote he said (laughs) now ladies we going to start the hard stuff. <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, mean, I did a terrible impression there, but I love that movie. Anyway, thank you uh, for those who have, uh, this is your first time listening. We welcome you to the show. Welcome you to Press Next Podcast. For those who are back, uh, welcome back. We love that you came back. We would love for you to follow us on all social media accounts. Press Next Podcast. You'll be able to find us if you go ahead and search that. Uh, and then also, if you would like to help us out, we are a self-funded podcast. So if you want to drop us some coin, uh, we are fundraising and going through somewhat of a facelift right now. Please do so. Uh, mm-hmm. Cash App and Venmo at Press Next Podcast. So drop us some coin, man, please. But also, um, yeah, as far as the rebrand stuff goes, it's in the works. So hopefully we'll have a, a large announcement here sooner than moving, later. Moving right along. Yes. in the process um and then also if you want to be a guest on the show if there is and we should probably put out um the topics we're going to be discussing in the movies that we're going to be discussing in advance like maybe a month in advance that way people can say yes i want to watch that or i want to talk about that um anyways we'll let you know what we're discussing if you want to be a guest go ahead and sign up on 
the using the link in our bio of our mm-hmm. Instagram um, for the Google Doc and then just say topics you want to discuss or um, if there's a specific movie that you're like, man, I really want to watch this movie and then talk about it, let us know. We'll get into yeah, definitely. it. Definitely. We will take whatever request that we want. And if you have a request that you think fits kind of the fall uh, theme, let us know because we will add that to the list and maybe we'll get to it. Um, yeah, so we are excited and we love to have people on. So we appreciate our guests from last week. Uh, it was a very good episode, uh, even though it was, it was long, but it was still great. We had a lot of great response. We had a lot of, mm-hmm. of, of views, listens, and downloads. So we appreciate them for pulling up and pulling through and talking about uh, parenting and other things. Today, though, today, all oh, today, a different subject with a different movie. So we're going to talk about the movie Seven Pounds. Starring Will Smith and Rosario Dawson. Is that how you say your name? Rosario Dawson? Mm-hmm. Um, if you have not seen this film, you can either, and you're an adult, so you make the choice you want. You can pause this episode here and go watch the film. It's actually on Netflix, so if you already pay for Netflix, you don't have to do anything else. Uh, it's on Netflix. It's called Seven Pounds, starring Will Smith and Rosario Dawson. It also has... um. Oh, buddy, you know, he's in like a thousand movies. He's in like every movie. The white guy? Owens. No, he's not an Owens. Oh. Oh, yes. Uh, Woody Harrelson. Yes, Woody Harrelson. Pretty <laughs> much in every single movie that's ever created. He's also in this film as well. Uh, so you can go watch that if you want to watch that. If you do not care about spoilers and you just want to learn, because I'm about to go through the movie. If you just want to hear the words, that's oh fine too, because I'm going to give you them. Uh, and then we will have conversations. And also, while I'm telling this story, please, Katie, feel free to to jump in uh, anywhere if you feel like, you know what, let's talk about this. So, okay. baby, are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Hey, listeners, are you ready? I'm going to take that as you're ready. We're ready. All right, here we go. So, movie is Seven Pounds. Came out in 2008. Again, starring Will Smith, Rosario Dawson. Oh, Michael Ely is in it as well as uh, and, uh, oh, yeah. Woody Harrelson. Oh, yeah, and he's actually not a bad guy. I feel like... Yes. <laughs> I feel <laughs> like he's a bad guy in every single movie he plays in. Yes. In this movie, he is not a bad guy. He actually doesn't actually... Like, relatively speaking, he doesn't have a lot of screen time. Right. Um. So, there's not even enough time for him to be bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, how? But, yes, he's not bad. Uh, this was released in 2008, specifically in December. So you, if you set the scene for this, this is uh, December 19th. So right around Christmas time, families are together. This is a movie you can kind of go and take your family to go see. Um, and so I actually remember it being marketed this way. It is a runtime of a little bit over two hours. I mean, like three minutes over two hours. So pretty much standard for movies. The cool thing about this movie is that it was budgeted with $54 million, which is not a hefty budget mm-hmm. at all. Uh, ended up making over uh, 169 million. So wow, very great box office success. Not great reviewed. However, I think this is one of the films that you got to screw the reviews and watch yourself. Yeah. Would you? Do you feel the same? I feel the same. Okay. So screw the reviews. If you watch the reviews, uh, read the reviews. Screw them. Watch this movie yourself. Be prepared to feel some way emotionally. Whether that be crying or whatever, just be prepared. Let me tell you the story about Ben Thomas, who is uh, played by Will Smith. In Los Angeles, Ben Thomas berates a sales... This is how it opens up. He berates a sales representative, Ezra. Remember that? Ezra is uh, Woody Harrelson. 
and over the phone. And Ezra is blind, okay? And he maintains his composure. He politely ends the call. So Will Smith is really going at Woody Harrelson, or Ben is really going at Ezra right now over the phone. And he finds out that Ezra is blind, and he's also selling meat, and um, Ezra's a vegetarian. So it's really just kind of weird. Like It's a, it's a interesting... Mm-hmm. A very interesting mix-up of things. How are you a blind vegan meat seller? You know what I mean? And so um, that's an interesting open kind of to the movie. First and foremost, let me let me backtrack. The the very opening scene of the movie actually is him placing a call to the police about how he's about to commit suicide. So that's how you actually get into mm-hmm. the film. Mm-hmm. A very powerful scene. It was. Because they said who uh, who is in trouble or who died who's yeah who's the victim who's that and He's like, he said i am yeah and then, so then it, then it opens very up to the eerie. you're like oh what the hell is just happening like you about to kill mm-hmm. yourself in the first 30 seconds of the movie mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but he didn't uh, the movie continues to go on so after um we see ezra and ben's little um get together uh we see that ben is in like an irs office and he researches emily this 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 woman named emily posa and I actually hate the way he says Posa all movie. <laughs> like every, Miss Posa? Like he really just like enunciates <laughs> on the po part. Mm-hmm. Um, and and like sa, not like za. Like most people might say Posa, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. he's like Posa. Anyway, um, so he researches her and he finds out that she has some congenital heart defect. Um, and so it's just like, uh, we're already kind of looking into what is this guy doing? He's talking to a blind man on the phone he researches somebody who has like this congenital heart defect, right? And then his brother calls. His brother is uh, Michael Ely. His brother' name is, uh, or his brother calls and Ben denies taking anything from his house because his brother asks, "Hey, when you stayed over here, did you happen to take something that wasn't yours?" Now, here's the interesting part. Ben says, "I happen to remember giving you something. If you remember that, I remember that very clearly." Did you catch that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't I'll know tell what you he was why talking about at the time. I'll tell you why that's important a little bit later. So, um, Ben is obviously an IRS um, 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 tax person. So, he comes around, he audits people, or um, that's what he's saying. So, he goes to this elderly care home, and he introduces himself as an IRS agent. And the administrator, Stuart Goodman, brags about, like, Oh, I'm cutting costs here and everything else, but he bought himself a new BMW. Well, he went to go meet with Stuart Goodman, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and things kind of turn out a little shaky. So he paid, meaning Goodman paid for a bone marrow transplant. didn't work. So um, Stuart asked for an extension for the IRS until he can receive his bonus. So Ben is like, I don't really know if I want to give this man an extension, right? He's an IRS agent. But he asked the resident who was talking to before, he asked like one of the elderly ladies there named Inez, if Stuart is a good man. This is important. Ben asked Inez, is Stuart a good man? And then Inez revealed that he is punishing her by refusing to bathe her. So Inez is the old lady who was in the care home and Stuart is not taking care of her right and because of that, Ben takes Inez to the washroom himself and then angrily denies Stuart's request for an extension. Uh, and he like, really gets upset. And he's like, I almost believe you. You're not a good guy. You're not going to get an extension. So mm-hmm. we already kind of see Ben's makeup of who his character is in this film, right? It almost seems like he only does things that for people who he declares as good people. Would right. you agree? Okay. Yes. 
So, at that point, he continues to try to, like, find Emily. He ends up finding Emily in the hospital. And um, he he's sitting down. He talks to Emily, right? And Emily's like, I saw you on the elevator. And he's like, oh, surprise. You're being audited. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, she's like, I don't want to do this right here. But he keeps popping up at Emily's house, um, you know, going on a walk with her and her big-ass dog and all this other stuff. But... Between those conversations, Ben and Emily start to bond. Like, you can mm-hmm. tell that their relationship is starting to grow. It started out like they hated each other, or at least um, at least Emily hated Ben. But now, mm-hmm. you can you can kind of feel the, can you feel the love tonight? You can kind of feel the love growing, right? Mm-hmm. So, Ben, also, who has a very luxurious house in what seems like Malibu, right? Like, some very super nice place where you can see right. the ocean. Um, he leaves that house and he goes to a motel room where he lives in his motel room and he has this deadly box jellyfish, which he is like obsessed with. Apparently he's been obsessed with these jellyfish since he was a kid. Uh, and so he has them as like pets or whatever, but he takes the, the jellyfish with him and moves into this motel room. So he abandons his house, moves into this motel room. I know what you're thinking right now. What the hell is Ben's problem? Mm-hmm. Well, Ben as doing also, his IRS. Yes, go ahead. Um, also, I just wanted to point out something that during this you're also getting flashbacks but you you're not sure what you're getting flashbacks of yeah you're just seeing little clips of like a car and a road and, and so you're not like kind of sh- running right and you're not sure what it means but you're getting these and also at the beginning when he was yelling at um the blind guy over the phone, he what he when he got off the phone, he started yelling out names over and over and over. Yes, and like a you chant. don't really yeah, you don't really understand what those names are either. So just keep that in mind. Yes, keep Sorry. it in mind, uh, because that's very important. So thank you for bringing that up. Well, of course, Ben is doing his uh, IRS thing as he's supposed to do. And uh, he goes to his his um, somebody who he's known who's a child care uh, and family services worker. Um, and says, hey, I need to help somebody. So give me like somebody who you know needs help, but they're not asking for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, she says, oh, you need to meet Connie. Connie is a Hispanic immigrant who's trapped in an abusive relationship. Uh, so Benny goes and visits Connie. Uh, and that visit is kind of weird because he shows up at Connie's house. You know, he's speaking Spanish to her uh, and everything else. So it's like, oh, he seems trusting. And then he brings up like, I know you're being abused. I have I can help you out, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And so Connie kind of explodes because this is this is kind of what abusive relationships look like, right? A person who's right. in a relationship is like, I don't want to leave or they're scared to leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now you're kind of like causing a scene. So at the end, he ends up like leaving his business card for Connie. Like, hey, if you ever need me, just call me. So mm-hmm. remember Connie. Right now we have Ezra, who's the blind man. Emily, who has a congenital heart defect. Um, Connie who is in an abusive relationship. And then we have his brother, um, his brother, who is in the movie for like maybe all of 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Then we are introduced to another person whose name is George. And George is a junior hockey coach who arranged like partial scholarships for some of his players to attend college. And you can just tell that George is like one of those good guys. Like George mm-hmm. is just a good guy. Um, he does everything right. He does it for the love of stuff. Um, and so George is pretty cool. Well, there's a lot of stuff that goes on. Remember, I told you about the bond between Ben and Emily. Mm-hmm. Ben and Emily's bond has grown over the movie, and I mean they have been like hanging out and doing a whole bunch of stuff. 
And finally, Ezra, I mean, not Ezra, um, Emily kind of passes out. She goes to the hospital. She calls Ben and Ben tells her a story about a little boy named Tim and his little brother. And he, he spends the night at her bedside in the hospital. So this to anybody else would seem really weird because he's like an IRS agent. Why is he spending a night next to this girl, Emily, in the hospital? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, also, around the same time, Connie calls like, hey, my boyfriend just beat me up. Like, can you really help me? Ben goes and gives his house to uh, Connie, the one that was like looking over the ocean for Connie and her two kids. Uh, so he helped Connie out. And then, so with the congenital heart um, thing, they figure out that that Emily is like fading fast. And mm-hmm. she needs a heart as fast as possible. Ben takes her home and he's going to uh, pretty much kind of take care of her. But he wants to kind of distance himself because he feels like he's getting a little bit too close. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's okay. Uh, they share that she is, um, what did she do? She was like a card printer or something like that. Anyway, she had yeah. this like letterpress printing workshop uh, where she did these letters and she had this old machine. Well, Ben, in an attempt to kind of apologize because you've messed up earlier, goes and actually fits or fixes the machine. Literally the next day, he goes to the hospital and, and don- donates bone marrow to this kid named Nicholas, right? Like we, Nicholas came out of nowhere, but... Will Smith, a.k.a. Ben, is now donating his bone marrow to this child named Nicholas. So we know that he has given his, um, we know that he has given his car, I mean car, yeah, actually his car and his house to Connie. I forgot to mention that he gave his kidney to George. So George, the hockey coach, he got, he donated a kidney. And now Mm -hmm. he's given Nicholas, this young kid who we don't even know anything about, his bone marrow. Um... So this is kind of weird, right? Then Emily invites Ben over and they have like this romantic dinner outside. It's very actually really cool. Uh, Ben reveals to her that, hey, I fixed your antique printing press. um, And then they end up kissing. This is like a really sweet moment. It's it's just, it's a soft movie. Then (laughs) Ben's brother, Michael Ely, arrives. Okay. And guess what happens, y'all? Y'all not going to believe this. What happens? Tell us. Ben is not Ben. (laughs) Huh? Ben's brother is Ben, and Ben, who we've known as Ben, is actually Tim. So Will Smith stole his brother's identity and has been posing as his brother, IRS agent, so he can get access to these people um, to to pose as a um, tax agent so that he can get access and then say, you know, and help them out in whatever ways he wants to help them. Or, you know, it seems like he's helping. Maybe he's finessing. We have no idea. Either way, what he's doing is a felony. Uh, it is against the law. He has stolen his brother's identity, and even more so, he's impersonating a um, he's impersonating a, a federal employee. I guess you can say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just not looking good, yo. Uh, and then Tim is about to leave because everything's looking bad. But he ends up staying the night with Emily. They make sweet, sweet love. Shout out to Chris Brown. And after Emily falls to sleep, here is where it picks up. Emily falls to sleep. Tim gets out of bed. He goes to the hospital. Where his doctor, or where her doctor explains that her rare blood type makes finding a viable donor organ almost impossible. Mm-hmm. However, they have the, he has a blood type that is actually going to be able to help her out. So what happens next? What are Tim calls his, exactly, Tim calls his lifelong friend Dan Morris. Dan is like an attorney, right? Uh, and there was a scene earlier where Dan is really upset because he knows what's about to happen. And here's what's about to happen. He calls Dan, tells Dan, you got to promise to execute my will. Promise it. He's like, I promise. He's like, it's time. 
Tim says it's time. He went to his motel room. Then he, he called Ezra. You. He did. Tim called Ezra to apologize and explain that he was formerly uh, rude. Explain that his formerly rude call was to ensure that Ezra was a decent person and that Dan would contact him with a gift. He then calls 911 to report his impending suicide. So this now we're back to where we started at the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. It is then revealed that Tim, once a successful aeronautical engineer, texted while driving, so please don't do this, people, and collided with the van, killing all six occupants and his fiance. So seven people in total. Um, and so he submerged himself in a bathtub full of ice water, and then he dumped the box jellyfish, jelly, box jellyfish, um, the deadly one, into the tub with him. And he carefully planned his suicide so that he can preserve his organs. Because haunted by the deaths of the seven people, Tim was able to save the lives of seven others with his organs, right? His brother Ben required a lobe transplant for his uh, lungs because remember he was smoking and stuff like that. Holly received part of his liver. Connie, George, Nicholas, and Emily are all saved by Tim's gifts and uh, Ezra received his eyes. And then the sweetest moment, I think, is at the end of the movie where Emily, who has a scar on her chest to show that she got Ben's heart or Tim's heart, and Ezra, who can finally see now, and he's a music teacher, they meet together Mm -hmm. and they recognize that, oh, you must be Ezra. Oh, you must be Emily. And they embrace and they just hug and cry it out because they have a new lease on life thanks to Tim. Yeah, now, that part made me choke up. <laughs> it did. It did indeed. I know y'all are thinking, what the hell kind of movie is this? Y'all got to be watching something wild out here. But I really do think that you should go watch this film because I think that it brings up a lot of topics um, and conversation, especially when we talk about ethically. But before we even get into any of that, we got to talk about the film just as a film. How'd you like it? Um. I I liked it. I think it was a good film. I'll probably give it an eight. Seven. Okay. Seven or an eight. Seven. That's a solid. Yeah, I'll give it a solid seven. Um, so essentially, my key takeaway from the movie was that he, since he took seven lives, he felt mm-hmm. like he needed to give seven lives. Right. Or at least seven gifts, you know, some sort right. of, uh, some sort of restitution. Um, is that restitution is the question. Now, you said seven? Mm-hmm. All right, I might go seven, too. Um, I enjoyed it, actually. And I remember when this came out, and I remember how it was marketed. And I remember that they they said, they said stated really... They were really calculated. So nobody knew what the movie was about until you actually went to go watch the movie. Mm-hmm. So every time you watched the trailer, you were like, what the hell is this? Yeah, I didn't know what it was about. This was my first time watching it, also. So... Um right before recording this actually so i had never seen it before but i heard of it i just never watched it and i didn't know what it was about and for of course, some reason i a, thought it was like an action movie because of will smith that's funny yeah well because of will smith is why i even went to the the, the theaters to watch it because you know i'm a will smith stand, so i'm gonna go and support and watch his films and so when i watched this and i'm like yo i just remember being in the um in the theater like choked up like dang this was an actual good movie as far as premise wise i think the mm-hmm. writing wasn't bad i think it was like a good i think the stories kind of feel good as well um and i think it brings a lot of stuff to light when you talk about life in general and how you may feel but from the film did you have a takeaway 
Ooh, there. I feel like this movie was kind of heavy. It was heavy, but also happy at the same time, you know? Um, right. But my key takeaway from this was that we, I shouldn't take life for granted. I should be thankful for everything that I have, especially my health. Mm. Um, because most of the people in this were in need of some kind of transplant or had some kind of health condition. Right. So what really dawned on me was that last scene when Emily was walking up to, um, Ezra, Ezra. And I was like, man, they are young. They're like maybe late twenties, early thirties. They're young people. Right. And you would never know by looking at someone what they're going through internally. So like you could see somebody on the street and think that they look like a normal 20 year old when they actually need a heart transplant and they have six weeks to live, you know? So that that was my key takeaway from it was just to not take life for granted and especially don't take your health for granted, especially during these times. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot to take away from this movie. So I'm about to say, come on, what, another one. Well, you go, and then I'll I'll go again. So okay, I don't disagree with your takeaway. I think that that's very important. I think that that's a takeaway as well that I had. I also think that um, this is really tough for me because I'm like, where is the the restitution? Can you do anything to actually make up for some stuff? That you did. Could he have helped these people in in different ways or in different ways without giving his life? So I don't know. The biggest takeaway for me was to just treat people good. Like, because right. that's the way he interacted with everybody was just like, I'm going to treat you good because people need to be treated well. Even when mm-hmm. he was um, interacting with the older resident who was in the nursing home, Inez, like he was very sweet, calm, and... Um, understanding and empathetic right like Mm -hmm. the way that he spoke the way that he interacted with people there was a powerful moment whenever he sat down at the table with um with emily and she just got the hospital she's like listen honestly i just got the hospital i'm not trying to deal with this right now and he said that's fair so i I mean i'll see you around like Mm -hmm. i'm not gonna deal with you now you are clearly stressed out you just got the hospital i'm here to audit you like it makes sense that you would probably be like super overwhelmed right now and this is not a good look. So I'll just catch you right. on a, you know, on a up and up. So for me, that's a that's a big uh take. But also, again, the biggest takeaway, if there is anything, is that you never know what somebody's going through, including right. Ben, aka Tim. Right. Cause it's very clear that Tim is going through some stuff. Right. And I think that that was the hard part of watching this is like, yeah. You said, is there anything he could have done to help these people besides committing suicide? And probably, but you see that he has a lot of grief that he deals with and a lot of guilt. Um, He is having flashbacks. He's having dreams. He thinks about it often. And just, I, I feel like that guilt was slowly killing him. And so he was like, I can just give other people a gift and then be done Mm, 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 mm. does that like so my next question really was like how do you feel towards ben because i think that there are multiple sides to this cube when we talk about ben i think that there's probably a a, a lot of people who may walk away feeling like ben is like a hero 
Mm-hmm. But I have a differing perspective. Ooh, that's interesting. Um, I I see him in a heroic light because I think that it's tough because I feel like most people do text and drive or at least look at their phone or something, and it just showed what a split second can do and how it can change everything, you know, and that's a mistake and it was a mistake that he had to live with for the rest of his life. And he decided to make up for that. Now, I don't know, sacrificing yourself to make up for a mistake. I don't personally think I would do, but I don't know. I've never been in that situation, you know? Mm, No, I feel you. I don't know if I would necessarily sacrifice myself, but my thing is, can you imagine if you were, so he killed six people and then his wife was the seventh, right? Mm-hmm. Can you imagine if you were like the family of the six people who died and you saw this man live his life and give gifts to other people? Like, what is that supposed to do for you? What do you mean? What does that do for me? Like, if I'm that person and you killed my family from texting and driving and... You know, all we say is we want justice. One, did he go to prison for manslaughter? Like, that's not even a, that's kind of like a loophole that's question. True. Like, what is a, <laughs> why is he not in jail? Right? Like, that's true. Um, but also, I would assume that, like, if I wanted to feel whole again or something, you giving the gift to somebody, how come I'm not in the the process? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I would feel, I would feel, still feel slighted. Like, even in his death, it's like he ain't help us out nothing. He helped other right. people out, but he ain't do nothing for our family. Right. We ain't get no money. We ain't get the house on the hill. We ain't get none of that. And that may seem like selfish, but I'm just saying, from a perspective, it may look that way for some people. Like you helping all these people who didn't do nothing to you, but you did something to us, and I feel like you owe us, and you did nothing. I mean, that's a good point. So I don't I mean, know. It's, it's tough. I don't. How I feel about Ben is very. I don't want him to. Um, ultimately, I don't think you can necessarily be too upset about what he did because it's very clearly like it's, it's clearly stating that he saved some people's life. Right? right. And I think that that was very brave of him. I Indeed. do, however, um, I did hate the fact that that he and Emily fell in love because ugh, it just... I knew it. I knew it. As soon as the, as soon as he started the process of the ice in the bathtub, which I'm assuming was to preserve his organs, um, the jellyfish. And then Emily was asleep and her, uh, pager went off. So she had a pager that the doctor gave her and they said, carry this around when it goes off. That means there's a heart for you. I just knew immediately what was about to happen. And I was like, no, because <laughs> part of me was still holding on to maybe he doesn't die, you know? Right. And I thought, I really thought that that's what the movie was going to turn into was him not dying, you know, somebody talking him out of it or him finding a purpose rather than death or that's what I thought it was going to be. And then when he was laying in the tub with the jellyfish, I was just sitting here like, what? Really? Really? Is it going to stop? 
Nah. Can we stop this? Is it too late? Like, I was sitting here thinking that there was something we could do to stop this. And that the movie was going to take another turn. But it did not. But it it hurt me for her, right? She fell in love with somebody and now he's gone. But she gets to live because of him. So it's... It's sad. So, yeah, I know. Okay, so here's the conundrums or the philosophical questions that are raised for me. Are you ready for this? I'm sorry. I'm about to go deep here. Uh Okay, I'm talking about ocean deep. So he bases his decision on whether he deems somebody good or not. Mm -hmm. Correct? Mm -hmm. So the first question you have to ask is how do you determine what a good person is? Who is good? Who's not? Well, I guess he gets to determine that because he's the one making the decision. So, Okay. So then, if he gets duped or let's say somebody he saves ends up doing something terrible down the road, Mm -hmm. like becomes a murderer, is he responsible? I don't think so. Because I think that he did what he did with the intentions that that person is going to do the right thing. Like the abused lady. He gave her a house, gave her money. She could go back to her abusive ex. He doesn't know that she won't. But he gives it to her in good faith that Mm. she will, you know, make it on her own and start a new life. I feel you. I I, I guess the thing for me that I'm so hung up on is that, like, Using the term like good person, right, mm-hmm. implies that like everything you do is good, right? Or like right. a bad person or implies bad. that everything you do is bad. And we just know that that's not true as being human beings. Right. So for that to be the basis of who you're going to save, it's just, I don't know, it's a little weird to me be- on, <laughs> on every level, right? Like right. it's unethical is really what I'm trying to say. Right. Is there's got to be some, if we're talking about fairness, but I guess does it really matter fairness if it's your audience? True. Can I say and, I want to? And give that's my... the point that I was making mm. is that it doesn't really matter because he's the one making the ultimate decision because it's his body. Now another ethical question is: we see, and we talked about this a couple of episodes ago, so we see that Tim is actually doing something which we're going to deem good. Mm-hmm. but something bad at the same time, right? So my question is like, does Tim's ends justify his means? So we know what's going to happen at the ends, but but the, the means of getting there by impersonating the IRS, right? That's a federal offense. Accessing private databases illegally, right? Some people will mm-hmm. question the morality of committing suicide. So my question is, if the do do his does his end justify his means? And is it okay? Is there ever a time where the end justifies the means in life that's a good question that i don't have the answer for like that that was too much for me <laughs> i told you i'm going deep here that that is i don't know why but that's what i was thinking when i was watching this film oh like mm-hmm. over not necessarily the first time but i'm right. like thinking to myself as i mature and as i have looked through um situations of my life and other people's lives it's like we we steady question like Oh, we knew what the end was. Mm-hmm. And we also know how they it's got how, there. Yeah. But if the end was good, are we willing to surpass the terrible means of how we got to the end? Right. 
You know what I mean? That like goes, that goes back to the episode where I gave the Grey's Anatomy um, example where Meredith with the insurance saved this girl, saved her life right. with the insurance, but then she committed fraud, and that's illegal. You know, so I don't know. It's it's always a very perplexing question. It's it's like how I feel. The question gets arise to me when it's like, is it who is okay to die? Right when we talk about the death penalty, when we talk about people make posts about like killing pedophiles and stuff, and it's like this this is somewhat the same philosophy that I have. I'm like, how are we justifying doing this based off of something else? Right, right, like. Is it good to rid the earth of this person, but you're still doing the bad thing by ridding them? Mm. You know? So my question is, speaking of ridding the earth of people, (laughs) how do you feel about assisted suicide? Or suicide being like a legal thing? like You know what I mean? Like a, how do you feel about like being able to say, hey, I don't want to be on this earth anymore. And then like somebody can medically assist you. Yeah. Um I don't know. That's a good question. I actually haven't thought about it much. Um That's so tough. Have you ever dealt with suicide? Like have you ever had a family member or or a friend? Uh yes. Commit suicide. And I've also been around other people who have, you know, working in the field that I work in. Uh, and I'm not too ashamed to say that that's like thoughts that I've had. And I want everybody to know mm-hmm. that when we're talking about this, um, even if you have had it before, when we're talking statistically, suicidal ideation is very common. Mm-hmm. Like to go through your life and at some point of your life thinking about ending your life is very common. So I don't right. want you to feel like you're alienated um, right. in the sense that like nobody feels the way that you do. When I tell you that it is like, we're talking high percentage of almost like everybody at some point experiences suicidal ideation mm-hmm. uh, to one level or not. And it's also why we don't like on certain risk scales. If you come talk to me and you're talking about suicidal ideation, what I start pivoting to is, do you have a plan? Because mm-hmm. if you don't have a plan, most likely it, we're just talking about the ideation process ideation, and thinking about right. it. You know what I mean? Once mm-hmm. you start talking about your plan. So if, if 10 starts call, telling to me about, Hey, I'm doing this like he was doing with his his lawyer, his best friend Dan. But then we have it, you know. what I'm saying then it's a little bit more emergent, right? Um, I urge you though, anybody who is having any of those kind like ideations or ideas, please talk about them to somebody. It doesn't have to necessarily be, um, you know, a counselor because maybe you don't have access to a counselor. But talk to somebody mm-hmm. who you feel like is safe. But you always there are national hotlines you can talk to as well, and it just, right. it will help you process through stuff. Even if you're like, I don't have a plan. I just feel like this feeling right now. Um, and for for him specifically, for Tim, this is very thorough. Mm-hmm. Very thorough. Because you have to it, wait it was, years. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like you made a decision, had to go through litigation with your estate and will, and then find the people who you want to find. And still, even when you somewhat are falling in love or have some affection and emotions towards this this woman you still Gots have to, to follow see through. It through my boy exactly got to see it through my boy uh but and so assisted i don't know i just feel i have so many conflicting thoughts because in mm-hmm. one i work in the field where i'm helping people who are dealing with this and i very mm-hmm. much so believe that people need help 
also have to battle my like religious um, thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. And how mm-hmm. I grew up religiously and like my family, especially in a like black community, you will hear a lot like suicide, so selfish. Like you're doing this, you're doing that. Um, you're not thinking about the people around you. And I'm like, yeah, actually, I am. That's that's part of the reason why I feel the way I feel. I feel like that y'all would be better off without me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, one could argue that it's actually very selfless. Uh, and then, like biblically speaking, some people are, you know, we, we're talking about the life was given to us as a gift. So for me to take it away is very like disrespectful, right? If we're right. talking from a religious standpoint, as as God being a creator, um, so I battle this all the time. But I know that I'm also working. You know, God is working through me, and I'm working with humans who may not believe in what I believe. Mm-hmm. So I also want to just help them out to be as pe- peaceful, calm, and um, you know, meet the things that they want to meet. You know, talk through all the right. options to make sure that they know that they're they're. They are people here for them mm-hmm. if they want to be connected to those people. Um, but that's up to them if they want to be connected to those people. They may have tried everything and felt like this is the, the last way. Right. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know. I struggle with that uh, for all the same reasons that you do and all the things that you listed off. I also had a family member um, commit suicide and just seeing how it affected my family. <clears throat> it was very difficult and still is very difficult. So, um, I don't know. It just, it just makes me sad, but you have to think about also like if it's a terminal illness and you know that there's nothing that this person can do, right? What then? But then you have people saying, but there's miracles or, you know, sometimes things change or right. whatever it's, the case may be. It's the, I don't know. I, it's such a weird argument, you know, especially the people who are talking about it. There's miracles and everything else because there are there are opportunities for things to not go. Like the, there's plenty of times. I've seen this a lot mm-hmm. of times where doctors will say, oh, you got six weeks. And it's like 10 mm-hmm. years later, right? Like, right. We just never know about mm-hmm. what's going That's the thing, right? That's the one thing I don't like about that argument. Or even when we're talking about when people say, oh, if I had to save the old person or the young person, I'm saving the young person because the old person lived their life. And I'm like, how do you make that decision? How do you determine that the old person's life doesn't have 40 more years to live and a young person has two days? This is true. That's a good point. You know what I'm saying? And so on the same token, I'm like, I'm thinking that like the, these decisions really have to be based on the person themselves. I don't think that right. there's place for interference from other people. Other than resource assistance. I think it also comes back to religion because I'm a religious person and I have a relationship with God and I think that it's not up to me to play God, right? So when we talk about miracles or um, getting a six-week diagnosis and you're here 10 years later, you know? Mm -hmm. So... No, I do know. And then uh, I think that there's other people who are you're going to say, well, if if uh, if if God knows all, then maybe this is in his plan. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like not, not necessarily understanding the aspects of like free will and things of that nature. And by any means, I don't I'm speaking from my perspective. You're speaking from your perspective. So mm-hmm. listeners, we are not talking about how you all think. We would actually love your perspective. Because uh, it may be way different than ours, and it might, you know, enlighten us and open our eyes to something that we haven't necessarily thought about. Um, For sure. So I just this movie is just so 
pressing on that topic of like, what would you do in that situation? Or is it like, okay. My other question is, do you think he like even the score, you know, like the scales are, are the scales evened out by doing what he did? (laughs) That's a good question. Because I want to say yes, but at the same time, I want to say that he didn't have to die for that. I feel you. You know, like there's plenty of good you can do in the world without sacrificing yourself. But also, in the same token, he did help seven people and was also the cause of seven people's deaths. Mm. So, I don't know. I think that that's how I feel about this whole movie is just perplexed on my feelings. Um, I feel like I've been giving you a lot of, I don't know answers. (laughs) Right. I think that's, that's good. First off, that's like the, that's like, and I'm not calling you a layman, but that's like the layman, you know, like the viewers eyes. Like most people are going to see this and be like, I don't know how to feel. I don't know what to think about this. Um, Or some people are going to watch and be like, I don't know what I just watched. And I think that a Mm -hmm. lot of times people will say that a movie or something is bad when they're forced to think about what the hell just happened on the screen true they just wanted to be entertained and instead of them being mm-hmm. entertained on screen they're now being entertained in their, in their mind which is like a place where they wanted to um escape when they went to the movie does that make sense right so then they'll say something like oh the movie was terrible the movie was not terrible this the is more of a was... psychological movie it definitely is and it's meant to it's meant to leave you um with the, the with the conundrum of you know the, the, the things that we're talking about mm-hmm. um i think he could have done a lot of things great and i don't so the phrasing of like weighting the scales and evening the score is just so wild because that's not ever up to you to decide, right? Like right. other people are going to mourn in certain different ways and maybe they forgive you, but you have to forgive yourself. And so maybe you just dedicate your life to doing nothing but good and, and, right. and, and inflicting good on other people's lives so that you can change people's life in a positive way to give back what you, you know, you essentially taken away which was life because you're not gonna be able to give life back right Mm -hmm. i can't bring the same soul back from the dead right however i can impact as much good as i can to still help change or shift somebody's life for the better Mm -hmm. so while i can't necessarily give you life i can help you know one create it (laughs) if you want to do that uh but two to change it and, and enhance essentially somebody else's life Right. Do you feel the same? Do you feel differently? I do. I do. You do feel the same and differently? I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah, I feel the same. But also, you just brought up something that made me go, huh? I mean, what? think even deeper. Is like, if you wanted to give seven lives for the ones you took, why not have, have seven babies? children? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sh- for real though. <laughs> and deal with like paying it out and doing all the other stuff, you know what I'm saying? If you ever being a father to these children. Um no, I think that that's it's a it's a valid point. Hmm. It's a valid point. You know, somebody might feel it. different. Think, think about, about it, it y'all. Let us know. All right, here we go. Tell me a story about a time somebody changed your life unexpectedly. Mm. Um, so I never had anybody, uh, donate organs to me or anything of that magnitude. So, 
Um, let's see. That was supposed to be a joke, Corey. Ha ha. My bad. I missed that one. That went straight <laughs> in my headphones and over my head. Okay. <laughs> um, hmm. Someone that changed my life unexpectedly. So I'm going to give an example. And by changed my life, I mean, just inspired me and encouraged me to look outside of what I was raised to know or and not by my parents, but just like by the environment that I was growing up in. Um, so one time I was in high school, I have this friend who has been my friend since I was a little kid. Um, and her older sister went off after she was older than us. Um, I don't want to say much older, but like Mm. six years older at least. Um, So she went off and she took this road trip around the country. And then she came back to my high school and came to one of my classes and she talked about it. Um, Now, I wasn't really close with my friend's sister because she was older than us and had already been out um, of high school and all that when... I was even old enough to hang out. So, um, but when she came back and she showed pictures and she talked about it and she talked about wanting to become a life coach and talked about getting out of her comfort zone and doing things that she was uncomfortable with, like going out to eat alone at a restaurant. She was terrified of doing that and she made it a habit to do it at least once a week. Um, Just talking with her and... That's when I first discovered vision boards and I made one. And then just seeing what life could be like outside of the quote unquote norm of where I'm from. Right. Mm -hmm. So staying around East Texas and going to college at TJC, UT Tyler, SFA, Texarkana A&M, all of those schools that most people in that area go to, um, which isn't a bad thing, but I knew that I wanted to do something different. I just knew I wanted to be different. I knew I wanted to do something different. And hearing her talk about that really inspired me. And I do think that it changed the trajectory of my life, (laughs) which is, it sounds silly, but it gave me the the strength and the courage to do things that I was afraid of and to get out of my comfort zone and to go places where I'm the only person I know and make friends with people. And when I was second guessing myself, I would always think about her and her story and yeah, it wasn't Shout like out to a, you for a gift or anything, but right, but it's also just, a, Caitlin. just a moment that kind of just shifted your 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 pathway you know like it just right. happened and you're like oh crap yeah especially when you look and back I actually, on it i actually met up with her um a couple years ago when i was living in fort worth and we went and got dinner together and i was like hey um i just want you to know like i'm i'm literally living here in fort worth because of you and she was like what <laughs> and i had told her you know like you inspired me i told her that after that class and then when I started college but this was years after college after I graduated when we met up again and I just let her know like 
you really did change the trajectory of my future and Mm. what my future was then and what I thought my future was. And you encouraged me to think bigger than myself and outside of the box and do things that I wasn't comfortable with. And I believe that that made me the person that I am today. So shout out to her. Man, I feel like I have so many of these stories um, about how I wouldn't necessarily even say change, but like just impact in my life very unexpectedly. But mm-hmm. I will tell this one. Um, it was the year of the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, we won the Super Bowl that year. It was very, very <laughs> nice year. And um, I just so happened to within the coming weeks after the Super Bowl, I was in Philly at uh, the placement exchange, which is... Um, hosted uh right before naspa so all of this is student affair stuff where mm-hmm. the placement exchange is this big exchange where you're trying to get different jobs and all these employers are are interviewing um all these potential employees and so i was lucky enough to go there um and recruit for the position that i was trying to leave and then try to get a job in other places and mm-hmm. during that roundabout um TPE experience, there's a couple of things that happened. One, um, I met some people at SMU, which is crazy because I actually met them before too, but I met them there and um, I was interviewing for a job um, in housing. I also met with um, Jessica Craybaugh, Vanna, and um, Delton for Oklahoma State. And I interviewed with them first round interview. And when I left that interview, I ran into this this lady downstairs. Her name is Haley. Shout out to you, Haley. I ran into her downstairs. I was actually scheduling my second interview with OK State. Um, and she asked me like, hey, were you just interviewing with OK State? I'm like, yeah. I'm not going to tell you what she told me. But what she told me um, really got me to want to like, hey, let's just go to lunch. And like, Let's discuss this more. Let's just chat. Boom, boom, boom. So we did. And they ended up uh, figuring out that she knew Jen and Ian from uh, Arkansas Tech. And um, it was just really weird how everybody was like really connected. Mm-hmm. And that higher lunch, ed is a small world. Higher ed is very small, uh, even though there's a lot of colleges. Um, but that lunch indeed somewhat made me sick later. <laughs> so I didn't take the second interview. Um and because I didn't take the second interview, people were scrambling around, but I reached out to them and they really were like, hey, um, we we really still want you to apply. And the reason why I say that second interview missing is important is because if y'all don't know, a lot of people know this, but there's people at Oklahoma State that I feel like don't really rock with me. And I would have been interviewing with those people in the second round. Uh, so maybe I would have never even made it out of TPE to go to Stillwater. Um, fast forward, I go to Stillwater. Um, great interview, a blow out the water. I get offered I get offered there, I get offered a date, and I get offered some other places, but um, Stillwater, I think, offered me the best opportunity, and it kept me close to home, because Katie and I were dating at the time, and you know it was like an hour or four-hour drive, so it was very close, um, and we can do that. So it's really weird, but I think that Haley meeting me, me going at lunch and eating, missing the second interview because of Haley meeting me, is why I somehow still made it to Stillwater, which then got me connected with Tanya, who has been one of the world's greatest supervisors, um, a, a blessing, right? Mm-hmm. Which got me connected to so many other people. Um, and then you got the still water and it, everything kind of just coalesced to where it was supposed to be. And those mm-hmm. same connections, the people who I met when I was going for the job at SMU, 
the the girl that the, the the lady the woman that received the job that I was going for for SMU, she ended up being our wedding coordinator. And obviously she was the better candidate for SMU, so I'm very proud of her, very happy for her. Shout out to you. Um, but it's just it was just really weird, right? This this mm-hmm. I think everything spawned from this one event. Right. If Haley never talks to me, things go different. I 100 percent right. believe that if she never tapped me on her shoulder and I didn't pull my pull out my headphones, my little Beats headphones. I'm not going to Stillwater. I don't even think Stillwater's in play for me. Right. I end up going to Dayton, right? Probably Dayton or somewhere else. And I think life takes a very different Dayton, turn. Dayton, Ohio. Me. Dayton, by the Ohio. Way. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, I'm sorry. I was living in Fort Worth, Texas. <laughs> yeah, I fly you in Dayton though. Uh, but shout out to you, Haley, because I really do think, and you I've never told you this, but I think that you impacted the path of my life very unexpectedly. And you you didn't you didn't know me from Adam, so you really took a leap on faith to tap me on the shoulder, like, yo, uh, we need to talk about what you just interviewed with, because I got a little bit more insight that they're probably not gonna tell you. Um, so shout out to you for holding it down because I appreciate that. And now here we are in Dallas. I'm at SMU mm-hmm. in a different department. However, I'm still connected to a lot of people at SMU through housing and the people who I met through the housing process. Two people I met through the housing process were my wedding coordinators. One person I worked with, she went to Charleston. The other one is like my best friend. So it's like, there was so many connections at SMU. And then somebody else who, check this out, somebody else who I work with or I met in Philly who ended up not going to SMU either. They went somewhere in Atlanta. I is now back at SMU as well. So it's just, it's a weird chain of events because maybe I don't mm-hmm. even make it back to SMU if I'm in Dayton. Is what right. it, I was getting. I was gonna get paid good, nice little apartment. Maybe I could have worked my way up there. Maybe I would have loved the Midwest and be like, I'm not coming back to Texas. You never know. True. Anyway, long story. Sorry. Shout out to all the people who are in it: Emily, Madison, CJ, Haley, Jen, Ian. Uh, Bree was there shout out to you <laughs> you know what I'm saying I'm going down the line of people shout out to Vanna shout out to Delton shout out to Jay Crayball uh, oh my gosh stop oh okay my baby. <laughs> I'm trying to get everybody that shout out I don't want to miss nobody I don't want to miss nobody shout out to you baby for holding it down when I was there and I got stuck in the nor'easter and I had to call you like what's going on uh, it was just snow everywhere uh, y'all let me tell y'all it was just a little tangent Katie wore this velvet dress I'm, listen I'm in Philly I ain't never saw her in no velvet dress before I'm in Philly She's in Fort Worth, so we miles apart. She chose then, would she go out with her friends to wear this, this form-fitting, just everything looking so nice velvet dress out on the town? They gonna it was send me Aaron's pictures. Birthday shout out. To shout Aaron. out to Aaron. She gonna send me pictures when I'm in Philly, stuck trying to do some, uh, uh, uh trying to do some meetings and stuff with schools. Come on, bruh. And we had I'm just supposed to see that dating. before I left. And we yeah, we like this is the beginning of our dating. You know what I'm saying? She gonna hold that. She's supposed to put that on before I leave, so I can see that. You know what I'm saying? Now I'm in Philly, stuck out there scratching my neck like a fiend. And then I um we went out to the bars with and she friends. ran into my cousin. And I ran into your cousin. They actually tapped me on the shoulder and they were like, "Excuse me, do you date Corey Middleton?" And I was like, "What?" <laughs> Who are you? It's a wild world, man. Things just are so connected. So I'm sure y'all have these wild stories. So here's my charge to you. If you have stayed and you had listened, we will also ask this on um, social media. Please tell me, because I'm going to read these. Tell me uh, and write us a story where you feel like something unexpectedly changed in your life. Like someone did something and it changed your life. Let us know. Mm I will come read them um, because we love those stories. So that's kind of ours. I got a thousand of them. So if you For want sure. more of mine, I'll tell you. But 
shout out to you, Haley, because I really do think you did that. So I see you, girl. Anywho, thank you all for staying. We finna get up out of here. Katie's is making uh, some dinner. She about to hit up these potatoes in the air fryer. Corey is cooking dinner. Huh? I cooked dinner last night. You see how she did? Okay. <laughs> we love y'all. Thank y'all for staying again. Follow us on everything. Everything. Throw us a little coin. Uh, stick around for big news. And um, I think I'm forgetting Always. something, Katie. Do you press remember? Press next. Always press next. We love y'all. We'll see y'all next week.